Good morning. For those who do not know me, my name is Jake, and I serve on staff here at Village as the youth director, and I am thankful for every opportunity that I get to come here on Sunday morning and open God's Word with you all. But I hope that you all had a good Thanksgiving. I hope that you took the encouragement that Steve has given us over the last few weeks to take some time. Thank God for everything in your life, good, bad, whatever it may be, understanding that we are to be the most thankful people. And so I hope that you've done that. I hope you've responded to that thankfulness by eating a large amount of food for the glory of God. Some of y'all are still eating it today. Hey, continue on. Continue praising Jesus. Eat that turkey until it's gone. But Thanksgiving has now passed. And regardless of where you fall on the where does Christmas start controversy, we can now all say together, you can say it with me, Merry Christmas. There we go. See, we're unified. It's okay. It's okay. Some of y'all just wait a little too long. That's all. That's all. You got to start like November 1st. Anyway, anyway, I love celebrating Christmas. It's one of my favorite holidays of the year, and I love everything about it because Christmas season should be the time that we as Christians are known for our celebration because this is the time of year that we celebrate each single year that Jesus was born, that our King was born. So if you have not done this yet, I want to give you some homework. I want you to go home. If you don't have your tree up yet, I want you to go home, get it out of the attic. If you have an artificial, if you need to go buy one, go buy it, put up that tree. Next, if you don't have lights outside on your house, what I need you to do is go to Walmart, Home Depot or Lowe's, and go get a bunch of LEDs and light up your block in what I call the LED glow. It's wonderful. Your neighbors will love it, okay? I promise. But invite your kids to come be a part of that as well. I want you to go look at Christmas lights. Come here this week and see the Christmas lights that we have. I want you to watch Home Alone a hundred times. I want you to make Christmas cookies. I want you to sing Christmas carols. I want you to make memories with your family that whatever you do to celebrate Christmas, I want you to do that because of the hope that we find in Jesus each Christmas time. And so hope though is something that regardless of if you're a Christian or not, something that you desire in your life. It's something that you truly want, but we try to find hope in so many different places that ultimately fail us. Whether that's a job promotion, maybe it's a new relationship, maybe it's that new house once the mortgage rates finally come down, maybe it's that new car once those rates come down, maybe it's our team winning a championship, or maybe it's just you entering the next phase of your life that we try to find hope in all of these things and wonder why we still feel empty. And the reason for that is because God's word shows us that there's only one thing that we are ever meant to find our hope in in this world. And that hope was laid in a manger over 2,000 years ago. And it's to him that I want to turn our attention to this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 2. This is where we're going to be for our passage this morning. You may be thinking I'm starting in the beginning of Luke 2. I am not going to a typical passage that you may have ever heard at Christmas time because this takes place about 40 days after Jesus is born. But I think this passage is critical for us to understand the hope that we have in Jesus and what Jesus came to do and accomplish on our behalf. And so with that, I'm going to start reading in verse 22 of Luke 2. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of pit turtle doves or two young pigeons. Point number one this morning, we have hope because Jesus fulfilled the law. We have hope because Jesus fulfilled the law. Once again, this story takes place after the miraculous birth of Jesus. So the angels have sang, the shepherds have come, they have found baby Jesus, they have worshiped, and now life is continuing on for this new young family. And as we see in this passage, Mary and Joseph make their way to the temple primarily to give a sacrifice for purification for Mary. And one thing we're going to go to this morning multiple times is the fact that in order to understand this passage, we need to understand the Old Testament law. We need to not think about it from our perspective, but we need to put ourselves in the personhood of a first century Jew and how they would have understood this passage. And so with that, Jewish law stated that after the birth of a male child, child, a woman was considered unclean for seven days. After that seven days, she then had to stay home another 33 days until she could go to the temple to make a purification sacrifice. Now, ladies, let me just tell you, if you had a female child, that time was doubled. And so you were really hoping that you could go ahead and have a male child and get it out of the way. So you don't want the double. But Jewish law also stated, however, that the firstborn male of any family was considered holy or consecrated to the Lord. And this actually occurs in Exodus 13, verse 2, where God tells Israel, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the wound among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And so this child was to be set apart for the work of God in each family. So it was not actually customary for the child to be present with the parents for this presentation of the firstborn at the temple. But it does seem that it was God's design for Jesus to be there with his family during this moment. And I think the reason for that, it has to do with the temple. Then we have to go back to the temple in the Old Testament and what did the temple represent? The temple was a place where God's presence resided with his people. It was a place where people would go to worship, where the priests would go in to be within the presence of God Almighty. But what's happening in this moment is that God is no longer in the Holy of Holies, that he is now present with them outside of that in flesh and bone, that Jesus is the greater temple. And so the price that was paid for the purification of Mary here was typically a one-year-old lamb. But there was provisions in the law for those that could not afford this sacrifice. And this we see in Leviticus 12, verse 8, it says, And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she will take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So this is an intentional point of context that Luke gives us to help us to understand the humble state of the parents of Jesus. Think back to the life of Jesus and what has happened already. His parents go to Bethlehem and they try to find a room, but they cannot find one. And so Jesus is born in a stable outdoors that they don't even have a bed for him. And so they put him in a feeding trough meant for pigs and horses laid in hay. And now they're at the temple and his parents cannot even afford the regular sacrifice. They have to give the smallest sacrifice that they can give. And so what we see is that Jesus was a king who was born into the humblest of families. But what this passage truly shows us is an understanding of the mission of Jesus when he came to this earth. That Jesus' mission was clear to save his people 
But in order to do this, the law had to be fulfilled. That for Christ to be perfect and the perfect sacrifice for our sins, he would need to be sinless. He would need to be perfect in an obedience to the law of God. And Jesus made this clear to us that his mission when he came was to fulfill the Old Testament law. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so Jesus' entire life had to be lived in complete obedience and submission to the law of God. And in this passage, we see that Mary and Joseph fulfill all the requirements of the law for the birth of their new son. And I think this is an important part for us to understand, because many times we think that Jesus's whole mission and everything started in his 30s. But it didn't start there. It started the day he was born and he had to be perfect from birth till his death, that there had to be perfection there for us to be saved and for our sins to be covered. And so here we see that Jesus is fulfilling the law, even though his parents are the ones fulfilling it for him. And so this is important for us because we also need redemption from the weight of the law, that we are cursed, it says in scripture, because of our failure to fulfill the law. Here's what Galatians 3.10 and the Apostle Paul tells us. It says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In the passage, we see that even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was under the curse of the law, that she had to provide a sacrifice to cleanse her. And that's the reason that she was in the temple that day. But what I don't know if Mary fully realized, we sang that song, by the way, Mary did not know. That's why we're singing it. She didn't know everything. And we see that here. But what she may not have fully grasped in that moment, though, was the solution to her problem. For the generations to come after her, for women to not have to go and make that sacrifice anymore. The solution to the law and us not being able to fulfill it. The solution to the curse was found in her arms and the baby that she was holding in King Jesus. And this is what we see in Galatians 3 later on in that passage, verse 13. The Apostle Paul tells us this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Friends, this is the hope and promise of the gospel that you have failed the law. That when you look at the Old Testament laws, there were so many of them. But the issue is, if you fail at even one of them, you have not met God's standard and you're held liable for all of them. And so you are under, as Paul said, under the curse of the law. And so you could never get yourself out of that curse. And so the only way to do it would be for somebody to be a replacement. And so Jesus became the curse for you. Jesus was perfect. He did not fail the law. He followed it completely. What we also see is that we could never permanently remove sin in the law. That when you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that they make sacrifices day after day, year after year to remove sin. It was a temporary removing. There was nothing permanent. But when Jesus came, he died once and for all. 
so that all of your sin could be cleansed, that he fulfilled the law so that it was no longer necessary for those sacrifices to be made. And so friends, I look at that and I say, that is hope that I have this Christmas season. Why? Because Jesus has succeeded in every place that I have failed God's law. He has succeeded in every place that I have not followed what God desired for me to do. And it all started when he was just a baby. He was the perfect lamb of God. But if that doesn't provide you enough hope, point number two this morning, we have hope because Jesus is the promised Messiah. We have hope because Jesus is the promised Messiah. Luke 2 verse 25 says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So what we see now is that Luke is going to shift the narrative over to this man named Simeon. And actually not much is known about this man, Simeon, in scripture. This is actually the only place in the Bible that we ever see him mentioned. And so what we have here is what we know about him. But there are four very important things that Luke tells us about this man. The first is that he was righteous, that Simeon walked with God, that his relationship with God mattered to him. It was a daily thing that he was devout, that this man was faithful in his devotion to the Lord. He did not waver in his belief in God, even with what was happening around him in Israel. But the third thing, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that's a weird wording there. But what that means is he was waiting for the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament to come and reestablish Israel to its place of prominence among the nations. And so he was patiently waiting for the Messiah to come. But the fourth thing we see is that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And this is something that we don't really see very much in the Old Testament, except for with prophets. So before the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2, that he showed up to give power to prophets, to give them, them to preach and prophesy what he desired for them to do. And so what we see in this passage is that Simeon is given the Holy Spirit and set apart by God for a very specific purpose, which we're going to talk about here shortly. So Simeon really was just another guy. He was just like any of us, except he just wanted to serve God, live the mission of God. He was waiting for the Messiah and the Holy Spirit gifted him the gift of being able to have this wonderful thing happen to him shortly. But what we see is that one day, I can only imagine Simeon is praying in his daily prayer life and God interrupts and he says, Simeon, you are not going to taste death until you see the promised Messiah. And once again, we have to go back to the Old Testament. We have to go back to what an incredible promise this would have been for a first century Jew and how much hope this would have filled him with. And so to understand this, we have to look back at the Old Testament. 
What this means is that Simeon was going to be able to meet Genesis 3, the one who would crush the head of Satan. Numbers 24, the star and scepter that would arise in Israel. 2 Samuel 7, the son of David, the forever king. Isaiah 7, Emmanuel, God with us. And Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. And so God looks at his humble servant, Simeon, He says, Simeon, the one who all of the prophets long for, the one that Moses longed to see, and Joshua and Elijah, the one that all of them were looking forward to seeing, you are going to see. Friends, that's hope. To see that hope realized, though, we don't know how long it took, but there was one day that he was led by the Holy Spirit, the text tells us, into the temple. And in some way, God lets him know, hey, that's him. And I can't imagine what was going through his head at that moment. But in the text, what we see is that he had this incredible joy and passion for what was happening in that moment. So much so that he runs up, takes the child out of his parents' arms and holds the child himself. And this is where I have to take a pause because I think about if I was Joseph in this moment, right? So Joseph has been given a tough hand. He has a child that's not technically his. It's, it's God Almighty in the flesh, that he is the father, earthly father of the Messiah. And now some random dude in the temple 40 days in comes in and snatches him up. He's probably ready to throw hands, right? Like it's just, it's probably not good, but he has more resolve and he's more patient than us. And so he waits. And what we see is that he is amazed at what is said about him. But Simeon takes this child up into his arms. And I love the humble gratitude that he shows as he holds this child in his hands. Did you notice the first words that he says? He says, Lord, I can die in peace now because I've seen the salvation of your people. What Simeon is saying here is that it does not get better than this, that he's looking into the eyes of the hope of his people, the Jews. And so I hope that in your life, you've had days where this was the case, where it was a day that was so good that you said, man, there's nothing that's going to top this in my life. There's nothing better than this, that you could die that day and it would be good. I can tell you one of the days that felt like that in my life that I remember the most was the day my daughter was born. My firstborn was a girl. And going into the appointment, we were going to find out if it was a girl or a boy. I was praying that it was a boy. I did not grow up with sisters. I was terrified of what it would mean if I was raising a girl. I didn't know. I said, God, please don't put that on me. And then the doctor says, hey, it's going to be a girl. And Sarah, my wife will tell you, my face went white. I started to panic a little bit. And I said, God, I'm just going to trust you with this one. But then we got to the day that Hazel was born. And I'll never forget the day, that day when the doctor handed Hazel over to me and let me hold her for the first time and I looked into her eyes. And that was, like, that was a promise fulfilled that that was God blessing me with a child that I get to raise for his glory for her entire life and love and care for. And in that moment, I said, I don't think life gets better than this. And I hope you've had those moments. And in a very small way, that is what Simeon is experiencing here, is that he is saying that this 
is the salvation for my people. But I want you to notice what he says about the mission of Jesus. Notice he says it's not just for the Jews. That Simeon here gives the first glimpse that we have that Jesus' mission was going to be a worldwide mission for all people, Simeon says. He says he will be a light of revelation for the Gentiles and a glory for his people, Israel. That he was the Messiah for the whole world. But it's here that I wonder, not so much what did Mary know, but how much did Simeon know about this child that he held? Did Simeon understand that the child that he held was the God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush? Did he understand that the child he held was the God who destroyed the walls of Jericho? That he was the God who was the other man in the fiery furnace? That he was the God who rescued Daniel from the mouth of the lions? That he was the God who sent fire from heaven to Elijah among the prophets of Baal? That he was the God who rescued Jonah from the mouth of a whale? Did Simeon understand that in that moment, that in his hands, he was holding the one who created him? Did he understand that? How marvelous that is. You see, Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel, but his plan was so much greater than that, that he was not just a man, that he was truly God. And he did not just want to save a few, he wanted to save the world. And friends, here's the good news for you. Because Jesus came to save Jews and Gentiles alike, that means that you too can be saved. You see, this Messiah, Jesus, came so that you could be saved, but not from a tyrannical government like many of the Jews of his day thought. But it was from a much greater tyranny, which was sin, death, and separation from God forever. And so Jesus came as your Messiah, as the one to rescue you from your sin. And friends, there is great hope in that. But there's still one more place for hope to be found in this passage. Point number three, we have hope because the cross was always God's plan. We have hope because the cross was always God's plan. Luke 2, picking back up in verse 34, says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And so Simeon in this moment turns his attention to the mother of Jesus, Mary. The first thing he tells her is that this child is going to divide Israel, that he's going to face intense opposition, that Jesus is going to face heavy opposition, but not necessarily from outside sources, but from his own people. Think back at the gospels and all Jesus faced. Think about who he was constantly arguing with and against. Who was it? The religious leaders, those who were Jewish, who tried to stone him, the Jewish people, who were the ones to say he committed blasphemy and sentenced him to death, the religious leaders and the Jewish people. Jesus' rejection by his people is seen here through the prophecy given by Simeon, that this was the way it was always going to be. But he goes a step further. He says, this rejection is going to have a profound impact on his mother. That he looks at Mary and he says, Mary, this is going to take a sword and pierce it through your heart as well. And that's a difficult phrase, but I think that this is a twofold phrase to what Simeon means. The first is that a sword would pierce her heart as she attempts to understand Jesus's mission. Once again, in multiple places, we see where Mary doesn't quite understand what Jesus is doing in the gospels. 
She doesn't quite get how all the puzzle pieces are fitting together. And so that would hurt her heart as a mother trying to understand what was happening. But the other place that we see that a sword would pierce her heart is when she saw her son be rejected. When she saw her perfect boy be called a blasphemer. When she saw him being crucified as a criminal, although he had done nothing wrong. And then Simeon ends this prophecy by saying that this child will reveal many thoughts of the hearts of many people. And we see this through Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders especially. That as Jesus questions them, they show their true colors. That Jesus has a way of getting people to show their hearts in just a conversation. That they reject him openly as the Messiah. And this should be humbling to us. That it should make us think about our own hearts and what Jesus knows. And friends, please understand this. No matter how good of a front you put on, no matter how many times this morning already when people have asked you, how are you doing? And you said good and lied. No matter how many times that happens, no matter how many happy Facebook posts or Instagram posts you make, no matter how many times you lie to yourself and say you're really okay, there is one person from whom nothing is hidden, and that is Jesus Christ. He knows the real you. He knows every thought. He knows every sin. He knows every action. He knows every reaction. He knows all the depths of your heart that no one else knows. He knows every single moment. Friends, Jesus came to expose hearts, and that includes yours. And so all this makes this passage end on a much more somber note than it began. But I think this is a critical moment in the passage. That Simeon here is showing Mary what is going to become of this miracle child that she had just given birth to over a month ago. That he was going to divide people. That he was going to be opposed and hated. That he would reveal hearts, but this would hurt hers in the process. And Simeon tells us what we find out as we go through the rest of the gospel, that Jesus was always born to die. That God's plan of salvation always ended with the death of Christ, and this was established before creation. A couple verses that show this for you. Acts 2.23 says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Did you notice the wording there, church? The plan of God, the foreknowledge of God, the fullness of time. All of this points to the fact that the incarnation of Christ was the beginning of a rescue mission. That it was not the end, that the end was an empty tomb and a risen Jesus Christ. And friends, this is the hope of Christmas, that Jesus did not stay a baby. As made famous in Talladega Nights, Jesus was a man. He had a beard, that he grew up and he lived a sinless life. And Jesus came to this earth with a mission. What we've seen this morning, that he came to fulfill the entire law and the prophets so that you didn't have to. He came to be the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for the entire world. And he came to be oppressed, mocked, despised, and murdered. Why? Because of the great love with which he had for you. He became like you so that he could save your church. What more hope could you ever need than that? 
can we say with Simeon, I can die now, that nothing will be better than knowing Jesus as my king. But church, here's the greatest thing. One day we're going to have our own Simeon moment. That when we leave this earth, we will be ushered into the presence of King Jesus. And on that day, our hope will become hope realized. And we will rule and reign with King Jesus forever. That's the hope of Christmas. And so friends, this Christmas... You have the opportunity to declare to your friends, neighbors, family, and coworkers the hope that you have in Jesus. That you can look at them and say, Jesus knows your heart. He knows everything. And yet he came to redeem you and save you. Each year at Christmas, I've just noticed with people, it is a time of harvest. People are so much more receptive to the gospel at Christmas time. And so I ask you, who in your life do you need to share the good news of Jesus with this Christmas? Who in your life is without hope that needs the hope of Christ? Friends, what we saw in our passage today is that hope is not just some faraway wish. It's not a car, it's not a house. That our hope has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. And so this Christmas, don't focus your attention on everything that doesn't matter. Find your hope in the one that does. And that's the one that was laid in that manger. A couple application points this morning. Number one, remember, Jesus succeeded where you failed. You need to remind yourself of that daily, that Jesus has accomplished what you could never accomplish in his work, in his life, death, and resurrection. Second, treasure Jesus above all else. Friends, can you say with Simeon that I am good that everything else in life is a bonus after this because of the great worth of knowing King Jesus. Number three, see that Jesus's mission was always to save. Sometimes we may think falsely about Jesus and his mission. It was something that he came up with as he was here. It was not that this was planned before the foundation of the world. And that's why we can celebrate his birth because we know it doesn't end there, that it ends with a cross and with a risen savior. Fourth, proclaim the hope found in Jesus, that there are people around you that do not have the hope of Jesus. And this is your opportunity this Christmas to share the good news with them and tell them the reason they can have hope in a desperate and fallen world. But then I gave you all one bonus point this morning. Celebrate Christmas like never before. I don't know what your Christmases have been like in the past. Maybe it's a tough time of year for you. But I want you to look at this passage again this morning and see that Jesus came to give you hope. And that means that this Christmas, I want you to celebrate everything that Jesus has done and celebrate like never before. Do all the things I said for his glory and for his mission. Friends, enjoy it. Celebrate. Your king was born and he came to save you.